God's faithfulness, this is the, the uh, conclusion of the series that Mike's been doing on the, the character of God and who is God. And, uh, and because of the, uh, the, the way that this uh, kind of a series works, talking about God's faithfulness, it's kind of a theme rather than really diving into one particular passage of Scripture. So we're going to be jumping around to a, a quite a few different places in the Bible today. So the story today starts out with a good Jew who was living in the days of uh, King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And uh, this guy was, was close to God. He had a very special relationship with God. And, uh, and in fact, God chose him to be his prophet. That means that God was using this guy to bring his own message to his people. The prophet would speak the very words of God to the people. But sometimes um, just speaking God's message wasn't, uh, wasn't all there was to it. God sometimes would ask his prophets to act out their messages, to c- kind of illustrate the message that they were trying to bring uh, from God. For instance, in Jeremiah 13, there's this great story about how Jeremiah was told to act out one of his prophets. It says there in Jeremiah 13, this is what the Lord said to me, go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist. But do not let it touch the water. So I bought a belt, just as the Lord directed, and put it around my waist. So Jeremiah was probably thinking something like, why is God suddenly concerned about my fashion sense and what kind of a belt I'm wearing here? I don't know. But God says, buy a belt, I'm going to buy a belt. So then it goes on, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt that you bought and are wearing around your waist, and now go to Pereth and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Perith, as the Lord told me. Now that's kind of an odd thing to do. Probably Jeremiah was scratching his head a little bit here. Don't know why God wanted me to buy a belt and then go and bury it in the ground. But then uh, it says, Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Perith and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Perith and I dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it, but now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods and serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they've not listened. So at the end here, God reveals to Jeremiah the point of all this. Why, why this belt? Why bury it in the ground? Why let it get ruined? Which was to illustrate how faithless people who worship other gods are worthless to God, just like a ruined belt. And there's other examples in the Bible where God asks his prophets to act out some kind of a message. Uh, for instance, uh, Ezekiel was once asked to pack up all his belongings as if he was going into exile. And then in front of everybody, kind of as a little show, he pretended to carry all his things uh, out into exile. Um, and our guy today was also given instructions to act out part of his prophecy. Here's what the Bible says. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for like an adulterous wife 
this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. You know Hosea was thinking at this point, um, can I just go out and buy a belt maybe? Or, um, uh, you know, maybe I could, uh, I, you know, I, I got this great place where I could go bury it. It would get totally ruined out there. I'm sure it got it. It'll work. Or, or I, I, look, I've got suitcases here. I could just pack up and pretend to make a trip to Babylon. But God told Hosea to marry Gomer, an unfaithful woman, as an illustration of how God's people were unfaithful to him. That's a pretty tough assignment. But uh, Hosea is obedient, and he marries her. And the marriage goes as expected. She is promiscuous, and eventually she leaves him and becomes a prostitute. Now, I want to take a moment to make uh, an observation here. This isn't the main idea of the message, uh, but it's something that's definitely true about God and is related to uh, what we're talking about here and, and really comes in strongly in this story. And that is that God often does things very differently than the way we would do them or the way we would expect him to do things. The main idea of the message this morning is that God is faithful. It means that we can count on him to do what he has promised. However, uh, when we think about this aspect of God's character, we can't forget that it does not mean that God is always predictable and that he will always do things the way that we expect him to do them. Sometimes his plans include parts that seem kind of crazy to us, things that don't make sense. Marry an unfaithful woman who will leave me and become a prostitute? That's God's plan? That's how God wants uh, wants Hosea to serve him? So what I'm trying to say here is that even though God is reliable and trustworthy, he is not predictable in the sense that we always know what he's going to do and, and, and how he's going to bring about things. He often does things and makes us go through things that don't make sense to us. Sometimes they're very painful things. But even though God's ways seem strange to us, we can always trust that he has our best in mind. So, so far in the story, all we've seen is that that his will is sometimes strange. But as we go on this morning, we'll see that this doesn't mean that we can't trust him, just because he might ask us to go through something strange. Uh, The other thing we've learned today from the story is that Gomer's unfaithfulness is an illustration of the unfaithfulness uh, uh, of ourselves, our own unfaithfulness. She's left her husband and become a prostitute. And God says, this is just like his people who have left him to worship other gods. Now the question is, does this really relate to us? Are we really like her? I mean, her adultery was parallel to the adultery of God's people back in the 8th century BC because they tried to mix the worship of God with the worship of the Canaanite gods. Baal and Ashtoreth and the rest of that. That was their uh, adultery, was they were trying to, to, to two-time God. They were, they were worshiping God, and they were also worshiping these Canaanite deities. But most of us um, have never um, failed God by offering sacrifices to Canaanite idols. The temptation to worship Molech, that just really isn't a thing for us. 
like it was for them. So sometimes it's hard for us to really feel the point of stories like this, right? But here's the thing. The point is that, that people are unfaithful to God. And it doesn't really matter whether that is through worshiping idols like these people were doing or through materialistic greed or sexual lust or self-centered narcissism. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have not followed God fully. We followed him sometimes, and sometimes we've gone after our own sinful desires. We're all Gomer, and we're all unfaithful to God. But that's only part one of the story. The story takes a more hopeful turn when Hosea gets his next instructions from God. At that point, the emphasis switches from our sin to God's response to our sin. Hosea tells us in chapter, in chapter 3, he says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley, however much that is, uh, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. So you see, apparently Gomer had ended up in some kind of slavery, owned by some kind of a pimp or something that was using her as a prostitute. But see how Hosea plays the role of God here. It's not that Gomer wises up, cleans up her life, and comes back for another chance. God tells Hosea, go out and find her. Buy her back for a price and show love to her. That is a picture of God's love for us and how he saves us. He goes after us and finds us where we are in our sin and he pays the price to redeem us from that sin. Jesus paid that price on the cross when he gave his life to satisfy the demands of justice. Why does God do this? Why does God do this? Even though we sin against God and turn away from, a, from him, he saves us at great cost to himself. What is the motivation that God has to do this? It is his faithfulness. 2 Timothy chapter 2 puts it like this. It says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God will be faithful even when we are not faithful because that is who he is. He is faithful. It's part of who and what God is and he will not go against his character. But what does faithfulness mean? It's a great word, but what does it really mean uh, to be faithful? What is faithfulness? Well, we've just seen it really defined in this story. I think a story is a great way to define something. Hosea, in our story, married Gomer. 
A marriage is a covenant relationship in which they, they include a promise in that covenant. In modern marriages, we say something like, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, till death do us part. All marriages are meant to be a picture of the relationship between God and his people. But especially Hosea and Gomer's marriage. But in that marriage, Gomer failed to keep her part of the covenant. Just like her, we often fail in our responsibilities toward God. But God's instruction to to Hosea to go to her and take her back, that is a picture of God's attitude toward us. When we fail to keep our part of the covenant, God does not say, well then, forget you. If you can't keep your part, why should I keep mine? God does not abandon his covenant. He still pursues us. He pays the price for our foolish sins and brings us back to himself. God has made a covenant with his people and he will keep it. He is faithful to his promises. The Bible teaches us that God is not human, that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? When God enters into a covenant relationship with his people, he is not going to back out of it. He will not fail to stay true to his covenant, even if we fall short. That is what it means to say that God is faithful. So here's the next question. What is God faithful to do? The Bible says, does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Okay, so what has he spoken so that we can be sure that he will act on it? What has he promised that he will fulfill? Now, of course, the Bible is full of God's promises and statements about what he intends to do. And, and, and here's what it means to us when we realize that God is faithful. It means that whatever he has promised in his word, the Bible, he will do it. We can be absolutely sure of it. And there's three specific areas that I want to highlight this morning. Even though the Bible has all kinds of things that God has promised and he's faithful to do, I want to emphasize three of them that are emphasized in the word of God. Um, He is faithful to do three specific things for us. First, he is faithful to help us in our time of need. Second, he is, able, he is faithful to forgive our sins. And third, he is faithful to save us in the end. And we're going to look at some scriptures that teach each one of those three principles that God is faithful for. The first one is in Psalm 145. So here's what it says in Psalm 145. It says, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and hears their cry and saves them. When we are hurting and in need of God's help, He will be there to lift us up 
when we call on him. He might not help us in the, in the way that we think he ought to, you know, but he will hear our cry and save us. He might not bring us instantly out of the situation. We might still have to go through it, but he will keep it from destroying us. And there's one kind of trouble especially mentioned as a place where God will help us. And that is when we're in the the kind of trouble that is a time of temptation. And and here's what the Bible says about temptations. uh, The Apostle Paul tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, sometimes I wish this verse said, God is faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted. That'd be pretty nice, huh? But that's not what it says. That's not God's way. Instead of keeping us from all temptation, he promises to help us to get through temptations. He doesn't let temptations cross our path that are impossible for us to beat. Every temptation is beatable. God is, always provides a way out of that temptation. And this truth should really encourage us in the battles that we fight against uh, the, the sins that seem to be our personal nemesis. You know, we all have certain sins that we really have a hard time with. Some sins that most of us struggle with, greed and lust, and most of us all have those kinds of struggles. And then there's also temptations that, that hit some of us harder than others. But whatever it is, whenever it is that we face one of those really difficult temptations that we failed in the past, we know that God has promised that it isn't too much for us to bear and that there is a way out of it. And because we know that God is faithful, we know that this promise is true. So that's the first area where the Bible emphasizes God's faithfulness. He will help us in times of trouble. And when we call out to him, he will be there for us, especially in times of temptation. Now, the second area that the Bible emphasizes God's faithfulness is in the forgiveness of sins. Because despite the fact that God helps us in temptations, and he is not going to give us temptations that, that we theoretically couldn't handle, we are not going to be successful every time. and We are going to sin. We are sinful people, and we often fail to escape even when God has provided a way out. But here's the thing. The Bible says God is faithful to forgive. The first place in the Bible I want to look at to, to look at that teaching of God's faithfulness to forgive us is in Psalm 25. Here's what it says in Psalm 25. It says, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. So here we see two aspects of God's character working together to bring about our forgiveness. It's God's love and his faithfulness. 
God remembers us according to his love. When he looks at us, he sees us through that lens of his love for us. That doesn't mean that he doesn't see our sinfulness, but it does mean that at the same time that God sees our sinfulness, he sees his love for us. God loves sinful people and wants to forgive them. But there's a conditional statement attached to this promise of of love and forgiveness here, isn't there? It says that God is faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. Now what does that mean? That God will forgive those who keep all the rules and don't sin? Well, that can't be it because this whole passage is about forgiveness and confession of sin. So, so what is it that, uh, that God is, is promising here? What, what, what is this conditional statement? Um, if people existed who always were faithful to God's covenant, um, they wouldn't have any need for God's forgiveness. Yet the author of the psalm is very clear that his, his, he has great uh, youthful sins, as he calls it, and rebellious ways that need to be forgiven, and his iniquity is great. So the condition of the covenant for forgiveness is being illustrated in this psalm, but it's being explained more fully in another passage of Scripture. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Very familiar passage. Maybe some of you know it. Here's what it says. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, in order for us to keep the demands of the covenant, as it puts it in Psalm 25, we need to do, uh, what we need to do is admit that we are sinful, confess our sins, and ask God for forgiveness. That's exactly what was happening in the psalm. The psalmist was, was confessing his sin to God and asking God to forgive him, and that's what's stated as a principle here in 1 John. But both the psalm and John mention God's faithfulness in this context. How does God's faithfulness affect our understanding of forgiveness? Well, God's faithfulness means that when we come to him and confess and ask for forgiveness, we don't have to wonder whether he's going to uh, do what he promised. He will forgive. You know, sometimes we have a hard time believing this because we think God is like us. Because, see, if somebody hurts me, deliberately really hurts me, and then they come later and they say, oh, they're sorry, and they ask for forgiveness, man, that's a hard thing to forgive someone for. But if we do forgive them, and then they go out and do the same thing a week later and come and ask for forgiveness again, are you kidding me? Uh, how about if they do it a dozen times? When they come to me, can they be confident that I'm going to forgive them? But God is not like us. God is not like us. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We never have to worry We've gone too far, we've sinned too much, and that God won't forgive us because He is faithful. He will always forgive 
people who come to him and repent. The final area that I want to emphasize this morning in which the Bible tells us that God is faithful is our ultimate salvation. He will save us in the end. Here's what it says in in the book of 1 Corinthians. It says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, at the end of this age, Jesus is going to return. That's what the Bible is referring to here when it says, the day of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes back, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to judge all people. This will be what we call final judgment. And it will determine the eternal destiny of every person. And if we fail the judgment, we'll be sent into eternal punishment. But if we pass the judgment, we will receive the reward of eternal life with God in paradise. Now let me understate the significance here by saying that this is extremely important that we pass this judgment. But you don't need to live with any uncertainty about what will happen to you at the judgment. The Bible tells us here that God will keep His people firm to the end. And we will be found blameless when Jesus judges us. When we come to Him, as we've just described in the last section about forgiveness, when we confess our sinfulness to God and He forgives us on the basis of Jesus' payment on the cross for our sins, our eternal destiny is assured. Because when we stand at the judgment, our forgiven sins will not be counted against us. Instead, Jesus' righteousness will be credited to our account and we will be rewarded. Here's how this same idea is put in another part of the Bible. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. The Bible assures us that if we put our faith in Jesus, the God of peace will sanctify us. That is, He will make us holy. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we will be found blameless at the coming of the Lord. We will be saved from punishment at the judgment. So, how should we respond to this truth of God's faithfulness? Well, first and most importantly, we should should trust Him. God is faithful and absolutely trustworthy. His promises are true. If the Bible says that He will do it, He will do it. We need have no fear that God will abandon His promises. Even when we are like Gomer and we turn away from God, He always stands ready to purchase us back and love and forgive us. Though we are often unfaithful to Him, He will always be faithful to us. So trust Him. Trust Him. Another appropriate response to God's faithfulness is 
talked about in the Bible in Psalm 33. This psalm says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The fitting response of God's people to God's faithfulness is for us to worship him. Especially to sing praises about the great and awesome God and his faithfulness and his love and his goodness to us.